You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey everybody! Thanks for checking out the podcast. We greatly appreciate your support. But right here at the top of the show, before we get started today, I wanted to send a shout out to friend of the show Jay Fratt. He tweeted me a picture yesterday, and uh, I just wanted to give him a shout out here. He says, I'll just leave this here. And then it's a screenshot that says old mortgage, number of months left, 317. New mortgage, number of months left, 240. Months off of loan, 77. Think about that. 77 house payments gone. Years off loan, 6.4. Total savings, $206,906.53. That's worth repeating. $206,906.53. This is what Jay saved at SaveWithConrad.com. He made sure to put in the tweet, Oh, by the way, my monthly payments went up a whopping $13. Thank you to Larry, Jennifer, Philip, and the entire team for making this decision super easy to go through cannot recommend looking into this info enough. So there you go. Save with Conrad.com save Jay and his family, $206,906. And in order to save that money and cut 77 payments off of his loan, he's paying 13 extra dollars a month. Step one is to go to save with Conrad.com. Step two is to do a quick application, either online or over the phone. And step three is for us to give you three or four different money-saving ideas. And once you finish step four and pick the right option for you, you're off to the races. It really is that easy. This is a real-life example of someone who listens to this show and then went to SaveWithConrad.com to take my challenge. Find out how much money you can save for free. It's no cost, it's no obligation, and you don't need perfect credit. So why wouldn't you do this? And oh, by the way, we're licensed in more than 40 states, so we can help more families than ever before. So even if you've taken a look once upon a time into refinancing, it's worth another look right now. It was worth nearly 207 grand to Jay. Find out how much money you can save right now at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? You won't have to make the payment in July or August. You're done until September 1st. And come September, you've got a better mortgage. Get out of debt now. Keep more of your own money. Go to savewithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn. And of course, we couldn't do it without the founder of the Four Horsemen, the Hall of Famer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? I'm always good, but knowing I got to shoot the breeze with you, young man. Well, I am appreciative that you took time out of your day to do it with us here. We have got a ton of great questions. We're doing hashtag Ask Arn Anything. Uh, you guys have been on a roll lately. We got hundreds of replies. Uh, there's no way we'll get to all of them. Let's, uh, let's do our best to rapid fire as many as we can though. Uh, Brad Saunders wants to know, uh, what was the feeling backstage like when Brent Hart came back into the company at the 2006 hall of fame? Uh, I think, uh, Brett was welcomed with open arms. You know, a lot of the young guys look up to Brett, you know, he was such a good performer and you know, a lot of guys of this generation would have been kids, and he was their favorite. And I think uh, everybody has an opinion on the uh, Montreal screw job. You kind of split the wrestling world with that. So Bret Hart fans were glad to see him come back and uh, just uh, get to enjoy Bret the character even more. Interesting question here from Concuss Jones. He says... Arn, we've heard you talk about enjoying Dark Side of the Ring. 
Would you ever participate in an episode about dark side of the ring with your incident with Sid? Uh, no, Sid and I've had a conversation and, uh, we have moved past that and it is closed for, um, conversation purposes. Michael Eldridge wants to know, when did Arn first start using the DDT as a finisher and did Jake, the snake, give him the inspiration? Well, of course he did. We all stole it from Jake. You know, it was one of those things that for me, I just saw it as an opportunity to, to have a move that had kill shot, uh, ramifications and you could get to it literally out of anywhere, which made it interesting. For me, a spine buster you could smell coming. A DDT could literally come from anywhere. And that's what I liked about it. And, you know, Jake got it over. We all owe him for that. Uh, And I was not ashamed at all to steal it from him. The Rosen Coaster wants to know, in all your years of socializing after the shows, has there ever been an individual or individuals you avoided drinking with at all costs because you knew something bad might happen? Probably the nasty boys. (laughs) They were, they would find a target amongst the guys and, and they would find a guy that just really sold for them and they would eat him alive. They would just terrorize the guy. And, And I can't remember anyone in particular or anybody specific, but they would get in there and get tore up and knobs would get loud and you would know, okay, you got from the point he started getting hammered and getting loud. You had about a five minute window to get out of there. God knows what was going to happen from there, but they were a lot of fun. If you could sit off at a distance and just watch them terrorize people. And it was back in a, in a t- different time in a different era when people wasn't so concerned with, Oh, well, he's getting too loud. You know, they would just look at the nasty boys and go, Hey, that's the nasty boys. That's what they do. <laughs> um, big extra, uh, wants to know, um, dusty Rhodes was the perfect guy to induct the four horsemen into the hall of fame. Was anyone considered by you guys to do the honor or was dusty always the first choice? Always the first choice. I don't think any rational person with our history from, 85 to 88 and then mine continued on after that but specifically those years the horseman years um there was not a better more solid choice and i was thrilled that he did it i was honored and thrilled and to be on the stage with with him and the other guys the other horsemen and jj it just uh something i'll never forget Noah Quick wants to know, did Tully and Arn ever face the Steiner brothers? If yes, when? If not, how does the match look, armchair quarterbacking it 30 years later? Uh, No, we didn't, but I would suspect it looks something like this. Bell rings, we just come out of the air to get covered. Next. Yeah, it's... uh... Didn't look good for us. It will. Yeah, that's fair to say. Dismal abysmal has asked this same question for 38 consecutive weeks. I'm finally going to tap out and ask you here, Arn, just so I don't have to look at it anymore. So let this be a lesson to you. If you have a bad question, but you ask it often enough, I will eventually give in and ask. So keep it up guys. Uh, dismal writes, what would Arn say are the most important roles in the horseman after the champ and the enforcer? A big heavy like Sid or Barry, a silent mercenary like Benoit or Malenko, or a sneaky shit heel like Tully or Pillman. A shit heel like Tully or Pillman, specifically Tully. Tully had a way of generating heat, you know, that that was just unique unto him. He was such an integral part. The horseman, the original horseman, and the the second coming of the horseman would have never, and the third coming of the horseman would have never been the same without Tully Blanchard. He was a guy that just pissed you off the second he walked through the curtain. 
and he was just, you know, such a veteran in his thought process and, and all the things he wanted to do during a match. I learned a ton from Tully. And there would be people cheering me for no apparent reason and booing the piss out of Tully on any given night. I could never figure that one out. But he just had heat, and he was just a really a professional, and he knew how to do his job. Well, that's uh, an understatement. You know, Tully's somebody who I didn't appreciate as a kid, but then as you get a little older and you go back and watch the stuff, you realize, I think it was a phrase you used a couple weeks ago. uh, He's the the straw that stirs the drink. I mean, he, he was the guy who was making the matches I was watching so enjoyable and the storylines. And as a kid, you just, you don't pay attention to that and you don't notice it. And that sort of brings me to the next question. A follow-up from Dismal Abysmal. Uh, when Arn watches a wrestling match now in 2020, is it through the eyes of an in-ring performer or more through the lens of a backstage agent? Uh, about half and half. Um, I look at some of the stuff that these kids do today, and I sit there with my jaw on the ground, and I'm sure I have to catch myself a lot of nights reaching down and pulling my jaw up because the athleticism – and the uh, the incredible athletic ability turned into spots and put into wrestling moves by some of these kids just blows my mind. And I, and I go, I look at Dean Malenko and I go, could you have thought of that? Right. And when he looks at me and shakes his head, no, that means something because he was as good as there was. And you're talking about a bunch of fancy stuff. He had a bunch of fancy stuff. Some of the stuff these kids do today is just mind blowing. How they even come up with it is mind blowing. And, uh, that's from the talent perspective. And then I go back and I look at it from a producer's end. I went, well, would that have been better served either moved to the front or moved to the back or, or maybe moved after this other part of the match or maybe just taken out and not used tonight and left everything else that you had in there. Um, I catch myself doing that too. So I look at it about half and half. We get lots of questions about particular towns and what your favorite memories are. I don't know how I'll ask those often, but two stick out here. The first one being from Rob. Did you ever wrestle in Delaware? Hmm. That just felt like a random thing that maybe we've never talked about. And I'm like, you know what? That is a tiny state. I don't even know how often they have matches there or WWE runs that town, but I don't imagine you would have ran it for Crockett. So maybe you're one year with WWE. I mean, do you remember wrestling in Delaware? I don't think so. The closest was Philly, which was regular. And I know Delaware's just because JJ kind of lives on the border there That's somewhere. Right. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I might've been an agent. There might've been a random Dover mm. show that I was maybe an agent on, but I don't think I ever wrestled there. No. And the other question that we got about towns, sweet Johnson or Johansson rather says, uh, any good memories of working in LA as a 12 year old, I was at the forum for the great American bash tour on August 5th, 1988 to see the war games match. It's one of the greatest nights of my life watching everyone in that match bleed. Uh, we didn't hear a ton about you guys going to the West coast, but I know you did a few times, maybe in 87, but certainly in 88. And then when you worked for the WWF, I'm sure you did, uh, any good memories of, uh, Los Angeles. Well, we went to Los Angeles more than you would think. Um, and we always tried to get there early enough where we could go down to Venice Beach Golds and work out, which is just a, if you've never been there, you should just go there. Even if you're not going to work out, put on some workout clothes and, and pretend that you are and just go in and just people watch. There's some of the biggest monsters, bodybuilding guys, powerlifting guys, sightseers, that you've ever seen in your life. What a spectacle it is. I mean, it's just mind boggling. And I'm used to being around big guys that are jacked, but until you've seen a guy that's like a professional bodybuilder, they, they go to a whole different realm of just the second you see them, you go, Jesus Christ, You're talking about a cartoon character. 
but it, unbelievable. And, um, you know, occasionally we would uh, go down there on the wharf um, and have a nice seafood meal. If we got there, like, say, the night before, we had enough time in the early afternoon. And then you got to go to the forum. Man, the history. You know, Rick was always a big Laker fan. And and just the history of everything that went down in that arena, you could just sense it and feel it. And you would all, you would all, Jesus, what was that? I was doing a run in on my Skype here. Don't worry about it. My apologies. Oh, that's okay. Scared the shit out of me. Um, and you would have, you know, your athletes and your stars and stuff that would come to LA shows and come to the, to the backstage and probably the most memorable, which I have up on my wall of fame, which is, has not that many trophies, but a few things from my past. Uh, we were at the sports arena when we were wrestling for WWF. And uh, I've told this story before. I think on the podcast, we get a message back in the locker room. There's there's a gentleman that has his grandson out here w- would like to say hello if you totally don't. You know, in those days, we we're heels, straight, hardcore heels. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't usually grant stuff like that specifically because, you know, we wanted to keep some heat. But they said there's a guy out here with his grandson. He'd like to have an autograph. You guys don't mind. I got Tully, and we walked out. Who do you think it was standing there? No idea. Gene Hackman. Oh, yeah. Okay. Remember that story? I do. Yes, sir. Had his grandson there. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I almost thought somebody was ribbing us and got one of those uh, actor lookalikes. Because sure. I'm, a, I'm a huge Gene Hackman fan. And uh, it, uh, we came out, shook his hands. I got, we got some pictures. I have one up on my wall. It's man, he's just so good at his craft, and I have so much respect for him. And it was so nice to see that his grandson was just another wrestling fan, another kid, and we happened to be his favorite. So it, <clears throat> it was a really cool night, and uh, never forget that one either. Oh, that's super cool. SaveWithConrad.com makes saving money fast and easy. Just ask Grady from High Point, North Kakalaki. He said this was a totally different experience than when he used his local credit union. And this time he got a lower rate, got a lower monthly payment, but he also paid his house off faster. He says he's going to save more than $50,000 worth of unnecessary interest. But how much can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh yeah, we're licensed in more than 40 states and you get to skip your next two house payments. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. So what are you waiting for? Go to savewithconrad.com right now. Uh, Lots of questions here about your time in WCW. This one from Joseph Davis on an episode of WCW Thunder. They had you wrestle David Flair. Did they spring that on you the day of the show or was there planning on your part that went into it ahead of time? Nope. I got there that day and they said, that's what they'd like to do. Matter of fact, I had to send out and get some sweats and some, some sneaks, um, and some knee pads. And I told them guys, uh, I think I failed, you know, I should, should warn you, I haven't been cleared and I won't get cleared because I already tried to get cleared once before. And uh, I left TV, went to, my doctor in Charlotte, this was previous to this, and tried to get cleared because they wanted to do to do an angle with me, and it didn't happen. And, uh, you know, whoever the guys were, I can't remember. I think it was Ed, Ed, Eddie, and, uh, and Russo were, were in charge. And I don't remember. Russo may have left. I'm not positive, so don't hold it to me. But whoever it was, I just said, you know, hey, I'll I'll do whatever I can to help David. And it was to help David more than anything. Um, I'm going to be very limited. But I'm just telling you up front, so this, this doesn't come up in legal later, I haven't been cleared. And I still haven't been cleared as we're sitting here taping this. So we went out and had a little bit of a match. There wasn't much to it. Uh, you know, and uh, 
got some people involved, Crowbar and Daphne. And uh, here's the crazy thing. They had it gimmick, but they had a vase or something. But they hit me right on the scar with it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, I know that was to get sympathy, but seemed kind of reckless afterwards, you know, why you wouldn't hit me anywhere lower than that. Right. But, but you know, it was, uh, it was one of those things that there were no repercussions as far as physical getting uh, damaged any worse. But it was one of those things that you never know because to this day, I won't know that I've went too far if I try to do something in the ring until I've went too far. Does right. that make sense? Yes. And I'm sitting for what's left of my life. So I'm very careful on what I do and what I select to do as far as, you know, physicality. There are a few things I can do safely, and but who knows? But they might have been safely done before. Doesn't mean they're safe now. So, yes, I had a match, and that's the long story of it. Let's talk about David Flair just as a sidebar. Uh, a lot of people would argue he was put into a position to fail, you know, just by him not having an opportunity to go to wrestling school and learn how to do things the right way. And instead, uh, he's just sort of thrown into the spotlight and, Hey, you're on TV and we're going to have a match too much too soon. Huh? Sure. Of course. And you're Ric Flair's kid. Yeah. That so ain't easy. expectations are what? 25 fold what they would be from a guy just walking in off the streets. Sure. He should have been able to get a foundation under him before you were going to do something like that. You know, again, that's, that's having the foresight to go, okay, you know, let's do something with David, but let's give him six months to go down the school. Let Sarge have him teach him some fundamentals so that he can protect himself. And you know, that we know he can take a bump safely or he could give a guy something safely and, and all those things. I got a feeling during this period it was, okay, Torpedo hit the Bismarck. It's starting to sink. They said it couldn't be sank. Well, it's starting to sink, and everybody was scrambling, running around, trying to figure out how to patch that hole and just throwing people on television coming up with angles off the top of their head and just with no setup, build up or anything else. This was a time when there was a mad scramble on. And I got a feeling David was caught up during that mad scramble. Yeah. He has a good sense of humor about it too. He says, uh, something like, Hey, I'm the only guy in the history of the business who did it backwards. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I went from being on TV and sold out arenas and I wound up in armories. <laughs> it didn't go indies to the big leagues it was big leagues to the indies so he still has a good sense of humor about his run or lack thereof whatever you want to call it up next matt has a question he says when are you and daniel tosh going to meet up when he least expects it <laughs> uh r.i.p kobe bryant writes in a recent episode Arn mentioned that he and his family were binge watching dexter I'm curious if he and his family have finished watching the series, and if so, what they thought of the ending. Well, I've got five episodes left. What are you thinking so far? Uh, this last season, there were some hairy turns with the, you know, uh, the sister. Yeah. Who's a nut job anyway. And it wouldn't take much for her to, to go off the deep end. I'm, I'm sensing that she's getting a little more okay with the fact that her brother's killed 127 people. <laughs> and she's right on the verge of saying, I'm cool with that. But they haven't got there yet. So I'm watching with, uh, with great anticipation and uh, we'll see where this goes. He He's also, the episode we watched last night, he's toying with taking an apprentice, which I hope they don't do one of these jobs where they end this show with, like, 
the idea that they're going to come up with the new Dexter and this young kid is going to be groomed for that spot and they may run with that show again because there's only one Dexter. Man, is that good in this role. He is so good in this role. We'll just see how it plays out. I'm not going to try to book it. Hopefully they'll keep swerving me, which they have so far, and just really well done. Well, well, you're talking about good writing and twists and turns and how to end a, an episode and how to end, a, a, you know, the end of the season. Anybody wants to be a writer, they should watch that show. That or uh, Ozark, which is probably the best thing has been on television since The Sopranos. Ozark is outstanding. Hey, let's talk about Dexter for a minute. We haven't talked about one of the, one of the heels in the show. How great is John Lithgow in that show? Oh my God. The same he was in Ricochet. It blew my mind. You saw that movie, right? Denzel Washington. Very good. Holy smokes. I had no idea he could generate that kind of heat. Totally agree. Excellent stuff. Highly recommend all of Arn's TV choices here on the show. Uh, and it's all, it's all about Conrad, not to cut you off. It's not about physical presence or size. It's just about the eerie presence that he brings to everything. You know, he's not some big jacked up monster or anything like that. I'm talking John Lithgow and Dexter for that, for that matter. But you look in his eyes, Dexter's eyes, and that is the presence that makes you believe he can do anything with any guy, no matter what size. Let's, uh, let's keep it moving here. This is a fun question because we've never talked about it before, but we do get questions about it every week. This one's from John. He says, wondering how you feel about wearing sweater vests. Was this your choice or AEW's? I get that it plays into the whole coach aspect. I've just never been a fan of wearing them myself. Glad to see, glad to see you back on TV. Enjoying AEW and proud to be a horseman fan for life. So yeah, the sweater vest is your new look on AEW. Uh, whose idea was the sweater vest and, uh, how do you like rocking the sweater vest? My new boss. And I had never worn one beforehand, but he had a vision for this character being, you know, uh, Cody is, is one of the top guys in that company. Sure. And to be his coach is a pretty prominent position. Um, Mike Ditka is what came to mind in Tony Khan's mind. He said that look, that similar look, well, I didn't want to just rip Mike Ditka off completely and wear everything that he wore. So we came up with this, and I'm happy to say it, it's no issue. Um, maybe if I look so conservative, one of the guys that uh, wrote in, I remember one week, on the Twitter account for this show who follows us and supports us. He went, or maybe he doesn't support us. Maybe he was just zinging me, but he said, my God, Arn looks like a banker. Well, good. I hope everybody that crawls in the ring with Cody thinks that that's who I am. I'm an old beat up banker. (laughs) That will be the last thought they have. As their spine hits the pine. Uh, check. <laughs> uh, James Sasser wants to know double A on a previous episode. You mentioned that you would never buy a Rolex, but back in the day when Rick was limousine riding, jet flying, Rolex wearing, etc., what was the gold watch you always wore on TV? Well, I had a nugget. It was a Seiko, but I'd gotten it from the islands. It was from St. Thomas. And it, in those days, uh, Tully had one. I'd seen him wear one first. He had a big nugget watch. So, uh, not being a guy that, you know, I always tried to live below my means, not above, because I knew this wasn't going to last forever. And, uh, I didn't go buy the, the million dollar house and I didn't have boats and all that extra stuff. And I would have never bought a Rolex. And, and the first watch I bought of any consequence was, St. Thomas, which you can get gold, which you know, a little cheaper than you can here in the States. I'm yeah. sure you're aware of that. Sure. I got a nice, uh, you know, I was, we were down there shopping. I was get, going to get something for Aaron, and uh, I saw the watch, the Nugget Seiko. So that was the one. 
I had it for a long time. Yeah, I just looked those up. I knew it was a Nugget watch, but I didn't know it was a Seiko. That's kind of cool. Uh, Ray LaDuke has a question that everybody was talking about this last month. What'd you think of Mike Tyson in AEW, Arn? I loved it. If you, you know, it's, it's a proven fact that athletes are all marks for each other. You know, baseball players and football players, you know, they like wrestlers. Wrestlers love football players, baseball players, basketball players, soccer, whatever it is. We're all fans of each other because we realize, you know, I respect somebody that can do something that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you stacked up $5 million in front of me, I could not do that. I'm not physically able. And you get a, you earn a respect for other athletes. Um, and Mike Tyson is one of those guys that, my God, for most of his career, and, and I'm sure Mike decided he was ready to quit long before he got beat. That was just one of those deals that had he just quit when he wanted to quit, he would have probably never gotten beat. He's just a beast. And uh, him, be, I'm a huge Mike Tyson fan and what he brought to the table. And you're talking about a vicious, vicious son of a gun. My God. And it's funny. Um, in the afternoon, they were out there and Mike was in the ring. And he was kind of walking around with the people that he had with him from his camp and stuff. And they were kind of talking, you know, Cody was talking to him a little bit along with Tony Khan and, and, uh, it was kind of laying out what he needed Mike to do. And he said, uh, you know, Arn Anderson will get involved and Mike, that's where we want you to stand up and stooge off the fact that he just did something behind the rest back. He went, Arn Anderson, where's he at? And I was about 15 feet from him. <laughs> Cody pointed. Mike came over, gave me a big hug. I'm not sure everybody knows this, but in 2012, Mike was inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame same year we were, the uh, horseman. I see. And that was the last time I saw him. And it, just to make a short story out of that, I knocked on his door. I wanted you know, my son and I were going to have a picture with, with Mike, <clears throat> which is, you know, I picked my spots, but that's a big deal, getting a picture with Mike Tyson. And sure. Open opened his door. He was sitting down eating. I said, champ, I'll come back. He went, no, 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 no. Come on in. Come in. He interrupted his meal to take a picture with us, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh -huh. And he was so nice and, and so personable. And the same thing. With AEW, you know, he came over, gave me a big hug. Haven't seen you, you know, since 2012. Da 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 da. Thanks for being here. And it just goes to show you, you know, how Tony Khan is willing to give the audience something special, you know, during these trying times when the audience can't be with us. And uh, he's going to all links to to give you some really cool stuff. And um, it was just awesome having Mike there. It really was. And it was good to see him. And there you go. Great to have him a part of the show. Good to see him back in wrestling. Keith Rawson wants to know who, uh, what was your favorite match in singles? And what's your favorite match in tag? That's always hard. I'm sure to look back over your whole career and, and say, what's your absolute favorite. But if you had to narrow it down, could you name some of your favorite singles matches and some of your favorite tag matches? Well, I love working with the Rockers, obviously, you know. Uh, love working with the Rock and Roll Express. Love working with the Road Warriors. Uh, the six-mans, after Dusty came back, you know, from us breaking his leg, and he got the Road Warriors as partners, and it was those guys against the Horsemen and, and all the major markets, man, Nothing like being in that ring and the Road Warriors music hitting and those two and Dusty, who was painted up just like them, would come out of that out of that curtain and those people would go ape shit. The audience was oh my God. And uh they would come down that aisle and uh man I would just get goosebumps. Um 
those were some of the, you know, just from a crowd response, they knew that that night we were going to get our ass handed to us, and boy, did we. Um, so much fun. Singles, I love working with Ronnie Garvin, you know. He would, he would just... He would just take you to school in there. He was so good, and he made everything from fighting over a top wrist lock into a headbutt, a jumping headbutt, being a kill shot, and one punch being a finish, and just take you down, stretch you with just his legs. I mean, he just was a phenomenal performer, and uh, always enjoyed working with Dusty. Um, that was a lot of fun as well. So I've been fortunate to work with some tremendous talents over the years. And, uh, you know, I'm just very fortunate to have gotten to, to get in the business to begin with when most of the odds were against me and uh, enjoyed the career that I've enjoyed to this point. And thankfully, Tony Khan is going to extend that a couple more years and couldn't be any happier than trying to help him make that product evolve into the vision that he's had. Berkeley buff wants to know who got your first spine buster, Tim Warner. Wow. You know, one of the most fascinating things that we get to talk about when we do these podcasts is Vince McMahon. I mean, what a character that guy is. And he's sort of like the Oz of wrestling, if you will. And it's fun to sort of take a deep dive down the rabbit hole of orange years as an agent and sort of learn the inner workings of the way Vince thinks. They even get tweets about that sometimes like, Hey, when are you guys going to do a Vince McMahon episode, buddy, they're almost all Vince McMahon episodes. You just got to listen for it, but we know about his wrestling taste. We don't know a ton about his personal life, but there was a photo that floated out a few years ago and it's from an old magazine. I think he did like an old interview with playboy way back in the day but it just popped up again. I don't know, probably three years ago. And it's him seated in a, in a den or a living room in his house, wearing some like Zubaz uh, type attire. He's got this giant dog at his feet and hung behind him on the couch is an oil painting of himself. And it's just tremendous. And I know he's like a crazy billionaire and you know, we've all got our theories. But I got to tell you, I'm thinking of recreating it at paintyourlife.com. I mean, why not? Now we can all have an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand from a photo. And I know what you're thinking. Well, that sounds like an awesome idea, but it's probably expensive. It's not. It can be created from any photo. And by it, I mean a professional hand-painted portrait. But oh, by the way, at a truly affordable price. Here's how it works. You choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. Their user-friendly platform lets you get this custom-made hand-painted portrait process started in less than five minutes. It really is that quick and easy. And oh, by the way, it shows up in just about three weeks. Now you can send any picture, your kids, yourself, which is probably what Vince would do, your family, a special place, a cherished pet, or even combined photos makes the perfect birthday anniversary or father's day gift it's meaningful it's personal it can be cherished forever maybe we should all chip in and have a an oil painting done of that birthday tweet that vince sent to shane that just said happy birthday at shane mcmahon that would be awesome wouldn't it at paintyourlife.com there's no risk if you don't love the final painting your money is refunded guaranteed and right now is a limited time offer you get 20 percent off your painting that's right 20 percent off and free shipping to get this special offer, just text the word ARN to 64,000. That's ARN to 64,000. Text ARN to 64,000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Uh, Mikey D wants to know if you could pick one aspect of your career that you would say was you at your best. Would it be your selling, your promos, your work as an agent, some of your in-ring matches? What would you pick and why? I guess that's sort of, uh, an interesting thing. Like if you had to put it, put together a, a quote unquote resume, what's the bright spot? What's the characteristic that made you so special? Do you think? Um, knowing my role, being able to have a match with anybody, no matter 
who it was and where they were positioned on the pecking order, I think, is recognizing, you know, a guy like Bob Cook who's there to get me over. But having the knowledge that Bob Cook throws as good a punch and is one of the better workers of his era, he just never got a break. And being able to fit that punch somewhere in a match where the audience had already given up and had folded their arms and were expecting this guy to get killed because that was his role. And to plug something into that match at a, at a point where, damn, I didn't see that coming. Whoa, 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 did you see that? Oh, God, he's going to get killed now. And maybe give them one more little ray of hope and stumbling block for me to overcome before poor Bob did take a shellacking. It was, you know, that ability to recognize that TV time is critical and crucial. And if you just go out and pound a guy the entire time and it goes too long because your time constraints are six, seven minutes, if you just eat a guy up, it diminishes your offense other than making you look more dominant because it's like, shouldn't you have beat him by now? So the psychology that goes with all those decisions in the ring, I think, are, and maturity and, and uh, knowing how much was enough or how much was too much or, or you know, when the time, when's the time to turn up the jets, all those things I think are as important as you have a longer career as anything else. Brandon Kish wants to know, Arn, what do you have to say about Jericho saying the inner circle is better than the four horsemen? Picking his spots. Cause he knows we can't do anything about it. I don't think history will shake out and, and find that to be true, but Hey, Chris is confident with his crew and they're a very talented bunch of guys. He's got some badasses in that group. And with his leadership and the fact that uh, all those guys are, you know, enjoying all the success that they are enjoying. And, you know, it's hard to argue that their success is not well-earned and and appreciated by all the rest of us that have been around for a while. But to try to compare them to the, to the original Horseman or the version with Barry, I don't think so. Brad Eagle has an interesting question. Arn, if you could go back in time and change one thing about your career, what would it be? I don't, you know, I don't look back at anything I did as being a tragedy or a, or a decision that was career altering. Uh, a lot of people feel like, hey, should you have stayed, you know? in the WWF and gave it a more of a chance and been there longer. And a lot of people question if we would have, should we have left Crockett in the middle of the midnight express angle? And they would have a point on both of those issues. But in this business, all you really have is your body of work and your word and the way you conduct your business to hang your hat on. And there comes a time in everybody's career or most people's career that you just have to say, you know, I've done everything you've ever asked gladly. And I was thankful to, to be a part of the crew and part of your company, but there's a time to say no. And you have to know when that time is because if you don't and test the waters to really see who you are and, and what, you have left in the tank, whether that's in your mind or in the vision of whoever you're working for. If you don't say no at the proper time, you wish you had, and you still have to be a man. You know, when everything is said and done and all the trappings and all the characters taken away, there's a man standing there. And as a man, you have to look after your family first and their needs, and when it all comes down to your ego doesn't really matter, but your manhood does. And you get to a point every now and then where you have to say, not doing it, and see what reaction you get. Sometimes it will help your career. Sometimes you'll be grabbing your bag, going out the back door, and terminate it. 
You need to know when that time is. And only you knows when it is. Interesting question here uh, from um, Patrick Samples. Because if you could have taken someone else's finisher and made it your own, whose would it have been? Was there a move that you saw someone else do and you thought, man, wish I had that. But it was just protocol that you didn't steal a guy's move, of course. Not really. You know, I had actually in my infancy, I had, you know, the Gord Buster, which was unique. Nobody was using it. As far as I know, I made that up. Spine Buster, which was uh, used not as a finish at first, but I just saw that I could get to that much easier. More guys were were compliant, not as afraid of it. and I could get to it from different places in a match. And then the DDT, which I blatantly stole from Jake. Uh, there was nothing else that I saw that I really wished I could do or thought about stealing. Um, I, think, I think I had enough. Patrick Samples writes, who was easier to work with? And you have to choose one, the Rock and Roll Express or the Midnight Express. Oh God, Ricky and Robert. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. You know, not that, I mean, it was still a heel match with us and the Midnight Express and I didn't get, but a couple of cracks at that. Um, Ricky and Robert were just a pleasure, man. For a heel in the eighties, it didn't get any better. And that's the only way to sum it up. It was the best scenario possible for a heel team was to work with the rock and roll express. And if you were the champions at the time and had a manager on the floor, as savvy as JJ Dillon, I mean, all the stars aligned and connected. It was, couldn't get any better than that. Patrick samples wants to know who have you been in awe of both in and out of the ring past or present? If it's not necessarily a performer, Arn, maybe it's a celebrity. You've, you've told us Gene Hackman stories and Mike Tyson stories. Do you ever meet somebody and think, God damn, this is really insert name here. I'd have to think about that one for a while. Did you meet Michael Jordan? I know you met Muhammad Ali, right? Yep. Bingo. Muhammad Ali. I did my, I did meet Michael Jordan. It was just for a moment and. Shook his hand, and uh, I'm sure I was certainly it was not lost on me who and what he is. He's, you know, if you took all the athletes throughout history and all those that will come along in the next 50 years and put them in a bowl, he's going to be the one sitting on top of them, sucking on a sucker. <laughs> and and Muhammad Ali, you know, he was obviously closer to your generation than mine, but you still grew up watching him on TV. And I mean, he was a larger than life sports figure. It was, uh, the world stood still when he fought back in the day, right? He was the greatest showman probably of all time because he then, you know, you could say, you know, Rick is a great showman too. And he was, but now Muhammad Ali, after all the show ended, he had to go in there and slug it out with some, killers george foreman joe frazier you know all the guys you could run down the list man there were some heavy hitters that muhammad ali had to fight sonny liston on down and uh he had to go out and produce for all that rhetoric to matter he had to go produce and um the time i have another picture upstairs that is in my trophy room and there's a little story that goes with this. He was in Detroit and he was doing a show for WCW, making an appearance. I think it was what had to have been a pay-per-view or a clash of the champions or something. And there was some people in line, maybe seven, seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 people ahead of me. And I just popped in and, uh, I looked at him. And he just had his head down and he was just signing and he was being cordial and speaking to everybody. And 
one or two of those 10 people, you know, got their picture taken with them and the whole deal and, and moved on. And about the third person went to sit down and he looked up and he saw that I was standing in line and I had a pen and the whole deal. Well, come to find out, he knew who I was, which blew me away. And he looked back at me and just motioned, come on up. And I hated to jump line, but when he's motioning, come on up, you come on up. Right. And I, I, he came up, came out of his chair, shook my hand. And I was fixing to say, thanks for being here, champ, and all that. And he said, how you doing, champ, to me? And I about fell down. My legs got weak, and uh, I just said I just just wanted to get a picture with you. It mean a lot to me. And he said, "You betcha, man." And we we got a picture together, and he signed something for my boys. And uh, it was one of those frozen in time moments because I realized who he was, what he was, what he meant to sports, and what he meant to the world, as far as that goes, as far as being a spokesman for for all the right things. And um, that's one of my keepsakes that I have. It's very important to me. And that was probably one of those moments. It's pretty cool too, that he is this, you know, larger than life figure and major influencer on American history and culture. And he knew who you were. How cool is that? Yeah. And I would, you know, that's, I go back to that, that deal, you know, a lot of, athletes or fans of each other you know and apparently he watched wrestling it's remarkable uh, it's very flattering to know so there's never been a better time to save money than right now at savewithconrad.com just ask dairy in tennessee she left us a five-star review said our service was fantastic and says she got an even lower rate than what she was originally quoted i already have my son sent your way and i will send more when i know someone looking to refinance if you're looking to save money, look no further than savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh yeah, we're licensed in more than 40 states and you get to skip your next two house payments. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. So what are you waiting for? Go to savewithconrad.com right now. JW has a great question. He says, as a producer, what do you tell a wrestler when it's their first time on TV? Your match starts when you come through the curtain and I better be able to look in your eyes and see confidence and 100% belief that you belong. Late to the dynamite party writes, how do you call spots in the ring or set up a match with someone who doesn't speak English? We've talked about this a little bit in the past when you would talk about working matches over in Japan. But that's got to be a pretty common question that you get. But if you don't speak Japanese and he doesn't speak English, that's a unique challenge. Yeah. And you know what? There's no fix. You just go out and you be aggressive and you grab holds and you work holds and you give them a moment in time and an opening for them to reverse whatever you have. And if they don't recognize it, guess what? You just stay on the offense. And you will get to a point where a guy will figure out, hey, I'm getting ate up out here. And he, if he truly belongs in there, um, I'm getting ate up in here. You know, this is Japan. He's an American. I better do something. And he will, it will occur to him to fight back. Now, there are a lot of the Japanese boys, if it's your first time over or second time over, usually your first time over, even the young guys who are positioned differently and they're there just to get you over, they'll come out and try you. And they'll bring it. And you better bring it back and wake them up. Because if you don't, there are a lot of young, tough Japanese wrestlers who will just kick your ass. But if you let them know, hey, uh, no, that's probably not going to work for me, and you bring it back, you don't have to say a word. Everybody understands what a potato is. And it's universal in every language. And if a guy, 
And if a guy just keeps coming and he's not selling, La Potato makes an appearance. And that will usually make everything controllable. Yeah, magically everybody gets a little more agreeable when they get hit in the mouth. You get swatted in the nose with a nice forearm, it, it tends to make the eyes water and sting like hell and slow you down a bit. Uh, Jeff Parsons wants to know, why did you sometimes stick your hand out upside down to get the tag on the back of your hand instead of the palm? I don't know if you did this all the time, but I have noticed that both you and the revival do it at different times. So that I get my fingers jammed on a hard tag. Oh, okay. Well, there that you actually, Ole, if you go back and watch Ole, you know, he would, he'd smack you pretty hard on a tag. And, you know, a couple of guys, you know, throughout the past, it was just one of those things that were into the match. It was intense. And, you know, they don't want to give you some little half-ass wuss tag and they'd slap the shit out of your hand. Well, if your fingers were pointed up, there's a chance you get jammed fingers. Sion wants to know how would Arn have booked the dangerous Alliance? He once said in an interview that the group had one of the greatest gatherings of talent ever, but it never became a memorable, a memorable group because WCW's incompetent bookers didn't know how to promote new stars. What do you, uh, I mean, listen, most people believe that when you look at that group of talent, you guys had what could have been one of the biggest stables ever. And, and I've even freestyled, Hey, if the horseman never existed, would we be talking about the dangerous Alliance differently? Now you were a part of that group. What do you think? Why didn't WCW do more with it? And why don't you think it's discussed in the same manner that the horsemen are? You know, I don't believe anybody realized what we had at the time. And I don't think whoever was booking at the time, because it was it was guys that were left over from different years and eras and teams. It was like a hodgepodge of guys. But you look at the names, you know, Rude, Austin, Eaton, Anderson, Paulie, Zabisco. I mean, you look at all those names and in one group, I just don't think any, the booker, if there would have been a booker that, oh, my attack dogs. <laughs> no, keep going. I like when your dog does a run in. We'll come back to the dog. <laughs> seven pound kick ass Pomeranian. What's, what's the seven pound Pomeranian's name? Smokey. Smokey. And by God, he, he's on the hunt. He's probably barking at the family members since I hope that's all that's in here. Well, here's what's weird. Smokey, but you're not a damn Tennessee fan. No, I'm not. Why are you going he around naming your dogs after rivals mascots? Because Smokey is like dark Smokey. He's jet black with a Kevin Sullivan gray beard. <laughs> Does he have a Boston you, accent? And he's still a puppy. His legs aren't chafing like Shorty's. No Boston accent. He just kind of like Shorty will go off the deep end at some irrational times. <laughs> like during the show, but that was fun. Smokey. We got to meet Smokey. I wonder how he got out. He's, you know, the family's usually upstairs. So we have quiet. Maybe it was a WWE cage match and he went over the top. So he won. Well, it's done deal. He has showed his dominance once again <laughs> at six and three quarter pounds. I didn't mean to cut you off, but you're talking about the booker and we're talking about the dangerous Alliance. Yeah. I just, you know, you go back and look at it and everybody was still in good shape. Great shape, actually, as far as, you know, in our careers and all that, it, it, it's like, yeah. And on top of all that talent, we had Medusa who could kick most guys ass, mine included. So, I mean, we had a pretty, pretty stout group there. I don't know. It's like everybody was kind of heading different directions at, at different times. And it was, it just was one of those rare groupings of guys that you looked at and you went, good God. You know, it was prior to Austin having all of his success and, you know, but, but everybody else was pretty much established and, and Steve was heading that way already. Uh, you knew he was going to be something special, but it's just, God, I don't have an answer for that. You know, you were, if I'd have been a booker and I'd have walked in the room and looked at that group of heels, 
I'd immediately found me five or six baby faces that I could integrate with those guys. And um, you'd have been set. You'd have looked mighty, mighty smart. That's for sure. Interesting question here from Sarah. I say it's interesting because aren't there's apparently at least one woman who listens to this podcast and her name is Sarah. She wants to know, what did you think of the traditional Anderson style ring boots? I always liked them, but I know you got away from them after the Oli split. Well, Sarah, thanks for being our one female listener. <laughs> hope we're, I hope we're not too silly for you. Uh, we try to be serious, but you know how Conrad is. He will lead you into deep waters on yes. the trying to be serious. I will. So the heat goes on him. Um, what was the question again? About those the Anderson, Anderson boots. boots. Yeah. It was the first time <clears throat> that I put on a pair of wrestling boots that actually changed me from the inside out. Going forward, any other pair of boots during the history of my career were just, okay, what color are we wearing today? What color am I wearing today? But you put on those Anderson boots, and immediately I had a vision of Gene and Ole. And what a what a real healed tag team was supposed to be and the credibility and the believability. And I looked at those boots as like a badge of courage, you know, for me to be allowed to wear those bioly and accept me as a partner on equal terms. I mean, as a young kid in this business, can you imagine? that feeling because those were their boots. Nobody else wore those boots. Three guys wore those boots. Well, four Lars, Gene, Ole. And I, and I think Ole's um, kid might've had a pair that he wore just briefly. And Gene's kid had a pair that he might've worn briefly, but they, I don't think they ever made TV to be honest with you. Uh, I was the fourth guy to ever wear the Anderson boots and on a regular basis and really be a, a Anderson that was used well, which was a blessing. But to me, it was a whole different, it wasn't just a costume. I was stepping into a legacy and into a team that was going to be talked about 50 years later. And, and I think that will be the case. By the way, uh, Arn, you're not the most sentimental guy, but you have hung on to a few things in your career and that pair of Anderson boots, that's one that's remained over the years. People have come out of the woodwork, myself included, and bought some old stuff from you, including old boots. But those Anderson boots, those are still at the Lundy household, are they not? Correct. And that's probably where they'll stay. I don't collect a lot of stuff about myself, a few jackets, some tights, a few pictures, uh, boots, a couple, three pair of boots I've still got, but you know, not a lot. And, and to be honest with you, it's crazy. I, you know, if I, if I knew that the world was going to evolve to this, I would have kept a lot more stuff only because the fans out there could enjoy them. You know, I love to, you know, be able to provide something for somebody and hey, you want a pair of tights, want a pair of boots, want a pair of my stuff, whatever it would be. You know, I see you know, how happy it makes people, and I would have just hung on to a lot more stuff. But there's some stuff around. I'll have to get up in the attic, open some boxes. If you'd like to see those boots, though, uh, Arn actually put a picture of them up on Twitter a while back, at The Arn Show. So follow us there if you haven't already. Hit it up. It's at The Arn Show on Twitter. You can see that picture. And that's going to wrap up this week's hashtag Ask Arn Anything. Next week, we'll be back your way with Money in the Bank 2015. And by the way, you can get all these shows early and ad-free over at adfreeshows.com. And you can watch wrestling with myself and Arn Anderson. Later this month, we're going to be watching Great American Bash 95, where unfortunately, Arn loses the TV title to the Renegade. You don't want to miss it. It's adfreeshows.com. And next week, coming your way, it's Money in the Bank 2015, right here on Westwood One. It's Arn. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Good morning. Hey, this is Dave Silva. I'm calling from Save With Conrad. How are you this morning? 
doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing good, buddy. I'm doing great. I listen to you guys all the time. Actually. Oh, man, that's awesome. Five, 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 all five <laughs> podcasts. Okay, so what made you come to Save with Conrad in the first place? Uh, I was just looking to try to refinance my, my home and try to get a, a better, better deal on my home as well as try to cut out some of my, my credit card and uh, other debts that I had. And I had worked with worked with Derek, and he was he was amazing. Like he answered every question that that I needed answered, and he was able to answer those questions as quickly as possible. If he wasn't able to answer things, he would get back hold of me within like within like an hour with with those answers. So he was just flat out amazing to work with. How much money was Save with Conrad able to save you? So they paid off my car, paid off several credit cards. I want to say in the long run, probably about thirty five, forty thousand for sure. That's fantastic, man. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah, man. I yeah. Thank you for calling. I really appreciate your call. And like I said, um, I listen to you guys all the all the time. I've listened to Conrad ever uh, Conrad Thompson ever since the Ric Flair show. So. <laughs> So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together... It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.